But kind of to get a running start, I want to look at the uh, the end of Judges six. You know, starting in verse thirty-three. So, uh, could I get a volunteer to read Judges six thirty-three through forty, which is through the end of the chapter? Boy. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called together to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they also were called together to follow him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was on all the ground. Okay, so here we see that the Midianite army, Midianites and the Amalekites, you know, They've crossed over Jordan, you know, ready to do what, you know, we saw earlier in chapter 6, that uh, they would ravage the land. Uh, and we know from uh, chapter 7 and even into chapter 8 that it was a very large army that had assembled. And so Gideon starts assembling his army says he blew the trumpet and different you know peoples and tribes come together the uh, first ones were the uh, Abizarites or I'm not very good at pronouncing that but uh, Abizarites I guess uh, and then those from Manasseh Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali do you see anything ironic about who the first people were that answered the call? That strike anybody, Sarah? Well, it would be so. It would be his his local clan, which were also the people earlier in the chapter who most likely were wanting to put him to death for cutting down the veil. Right. In verse 30, these were the people that were calling for his head. He's, he's cut down this, uh, broken down this altar of Baal and uh, cut down the Ashereth. And it's like, we need to kill this guy. But yet they're the first ones to respond. That struck me as quite ironic. Uh, and then the others, you know, they... They seem to respond, seem to be rather eager. Uh, so, 
was do you think Gideon was that powerful a figure that suddenly they all flock to him when he calls anybody uh, noodle on that a little bit you can see the hand of the Lord in all of this so yes uh, I think the key to that is the beginning of verse 34 so the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon uh, if you'll recall Gideon's not been very anxious to do this he seems to have been looking for a way out uh, you know wh why me I'm I'm the least of my clan and we're the least in Manasseh and you know he, he just got all kinds of excuses show me a sign and 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 he's not done with that as we'll see starting in verse 36 but I think the key is the Spirit of the Lord came upon him when the Lord comes upon us when we choose to follow him that changes us and I think this is an example of that so yeah I agree with Boyd this is God's doing and this is just the beginning of that as we'll see uh, and then Gideon hesitates again starting in verse 36 you know the the signs of the fleece uh, you know he asks for the uh, the fleece to be wet and everything else dry around it you know from the dew and, and that happens and it happens uh, very powerfully he's able to squeeze out the fleece and get a bowl full of water uh, that strikes me as a lot of water for everything around it to be really dry uh, hand of the Lord's there and and then Gideon uh, uh, verse 39 you know don't let your anger burn against me but I want to do this again but just the opposite <laughs> be all wet around the fleece but the fleece be dry and and God does that uh, note the patience of God here did you wonder why <laughs> why is he so patient with Gideon <clears throat> to me there's more than ample evidence <laughs> yeah, boy. I, I thought it was interesting somebody made the comment <clears throat> that this, this shows how God can work with someone with little faith and uh, and is willing to do this reminds me of Abraham when he's asking God he keeps asking him if there are only a few more uh, left yeah unfortunately there are a lot of people that look at God as being almost like a tyrant I mean he's he's sitting up there waiting for us to mess up so he can zap us and if you read the scriptures nothing could be further from the truth God is merciful he has been merciful he continues to be merciful we mess up 
we mess up a lot. And we're no better than Gideon a lot of times. But God's patient with us. He wants us to come back to him. And so, this definitely shows God's patience and mercy. And then, I thought of another thing. If you recall, God made a promise. Going clear back to Abraham. And not all those promises had been fulfilled yet. And so, especially the seed promise from the seed of Abraham, all nations of the earth would be blessed. The Israelites have to stay around. Now eventually they're going to get so bad, they're going to go into captivity, but God still preserves a remnant such that from the seed of Abraham, Jesus came. When God makes a promise, he always keeps his promises every time. So I think that's playing in here as well. Uh, one of the commentaries Tommy gave me, uh, Daniel Block, here's a quote from him. It says, God is more interested in preserving his people than they are in preserving themselves. I thought that was pretty good. Okay, any other thoughts on that before we get to, to chapter 7? Okay, uh, could I get a volunteer to read the first eight verses of chapter 7? Sir? Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who left, and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands. And Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Okay. So... Seems like Gideon is finally convinced, and so he assembles the people, rose early, and camped beside the spring of Herod. It says the camp of Midian was on the north side of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. So, the time has come, 
And he chooses to camp by the spring of Herod. Okay, this seems to be an appropriate place. Number one, it's close to the enemy. You've got to be close to the enemy if you're going to engage him in battle. Uh, especially back then. <laughs> Anymore. Today, you, you look over in Ukraine and they're firing missiles and rockets and all that kind of stuff. But no, you've you got to be close. And being by a spring, that makes some sense. So the troops are refreshed, you know, hydrated, you know, ready for battle. But then I ran across something that I thought was pretty interesting. Anybody know what the word Herod means? And don't worry, I didn't either. <laughs> it's a verb that literally means to tremble. Okay, that's pretty appropriate given the circumstances. <clears throat> Gideon's been trembling all along. And we find out pretty quickly that the majority of his men are trembling too <laughs> over two thirds of them admit to being scared <laughs> so uh, so that's a pretty appropriate place but then God says we have a problem and you know Paul sent out some questions and thank him for that they were very good questions and the first couple of those uh what was God's response to the army that had been gathered? Too what? many. Too many. That's the problem. Hmm. I would have thought the problem would be there's too many Midianites. <laughs> but no, that's not the problem for God. The problem is there's too many of you. And why was that a problem? What did God say about that? You're going to take credit for it. You're going to think that you won the battle. Right. God wants it to be crystal clear that it's not the power of this army but his power that brings the victory. And we're going to see that over and over again in the language. Uh, and then uh, Paul also asks, what do we see in this that gives us a glimpse into the faithfulness of Israel at this time? I think it's the fact that 22,000 of them for home. Okay. I think that's part of it. For sure. And yeah, over two-thirds. And they apparently had a tendency to be boastful in their own strength, which means they weren't they weren't used to relying on God. Um, so. Yeah. 
I think there's probably something to that. Uh, <coughs> it seems they've forgotten, and I'll grant you this is a totally different generation from the ones that came in and took the land of Canaan. But if you recall, it wasn't the power of the Israelite army that drove out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. God says, I'm fighting your battles for you. And, you know, going clear back to the, to the 12 spies, when they first get there, who? They're giants. They're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And I, I think that was very true. I don't think they were necessarily exaggerating all that much. Uh, so, Israel was never that powerful as a nation, as an army. But they had God on their side. And when you got God on your side, it doesn't matter who or what you're facing. You're on the winning side. So, so how does God propose to solve this problem? First, Anybody that's scared? Leave. You don't have to stay. Thank you for showing up, but <laughs> you can go. Uh, and so that happens. Uh, and the, uh, the word that's used for them is a word kind of like a bird flying away. <laughs> I did find that out, uh, which I thought was interesting. And so an army of 32,000 becomes an army of 10,000. Okay, still a substantial force. And God says, no, nope, that's still too many. <laughs> so we're going to uh, whittle this down even further. So there's a second reduction and God says take them down to the to the water there to the brook and tell them to get a drink and they're separated based upon how they do that and seems like the vast majority get right down to the water and kind of stick their head in and drink and there's 300 that pick the water up. And God says, those are the ones I want. <laughs> Possibly a test of alertness. If you got your head down in the water, you're going to see the enemy sneaking up on you? Yeah, probably not. But if you got your eyes up, you're, you're more alert. And so God refines this army down to get the courageous and the most alert. And to get a number that's so small that they couldn't possibly think it was their power. Which I think is the biggest key to that. 
And so now that he's got the army the size that he wants, we'll uh, read about the next thing. Uh, so verses 9 through 14. Uh, do I have a volunteer to read that? Paul? It happened on the same night. The Lord said to him, being Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid, then go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I had a dream, and to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. He came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Okay. So... It. Verse 9, now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. It's like, okay, I've got the size of the force I want. Go down and do it. Right now. How do you think Gideon's feeling about now? He's got one less than one percent of the army he started with. I'm thinking maybe wondering a bit. Right. Chapter six. He's been really nervous. He's asked for several signs. He's gotten those signs, and like, okay, we're gonna do this. And suddenly, I don't really have an army. I just got a few men. Very few. And God doesn't even wait for him to protest. <laughs> Which I find interesting. It's like, uh, if you're afraid to go down, take your servant, maybe your armor bearer, I don't know, uh, somebody close to him, and go down to the camp. And you will hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So, God continues to be patient with him. And so he's going to provide more evidence. And then, verse 12 stuck in there. <laughs> it's kind of like an aside. Just in case you forgot, here's what you're facing. It says, The Midianites and the Amalekites, the sons of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the sea. 
You ever seen a big swarm of locusts? Anybody? Me neither. <laughs> but as I read that, I was reminded of something I have seen. <laughs> Two years ago, if you'll recall, there were cicadas. Brood X, or Brood 10, because I think the X was a Roman numeral, uh, 17 year cicadas that come around every 17 years. And this is a pretty large group. And there was a lot in the news about it as it was starting to warm up. Uh, and they were expecting them to come out, and, and they did. And I thought at my place I'd see a lot of them. Saw a few, didn't really see a lot. I think some around here did. It depended on where you were. Uh, the more rural and wooded, the more you saw them. But Deborah and I went over to see Mark in Pennsylvania. And we had some extra time while <laughs> he was working. And we went to a park kind of out in the country. We pull in, shut off the car, open the car door. Hum. It was loud. <laughs> hmm, that must be the cicadas. <laughs> This is what I heard about, and it was, I was surprised I hadn't heard it in the car before I turned it off and opened the door, but I did have the radio going, and, but there was no uh, missing it when you opened the car door. So we got out, and then there were some trails in the woods, and, you know, we went got into the woods and the hum was even louder <laughs> and you see them flying around I think I got hit in the head by one of them I know I had some land on me and they're interesting looking creatures but I mean, they don't bite they don't hurt you uh, got these red eyes and <laughs> as long as they don't scare you to death they're not going to hurt you <laughs> This reminded me of that. Uh, there were a lot of them. I suspect this was even more. And then the sand of the seashore, okay, I can relate to that. Been to Florida, go down there in the winter, and we do go over to the seashore and there's lots of sand. And that was their camels. So, we're reminded of what a big task this is. And so, Gideon and his servant, 
they go down to the camp and they happen to hear overhear a conversation between two Midianites and one of them's relating this dream that he had this barley loaf comes tumbling down into the camp of Midian and it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down And the friend says, well, you know what that means. <laughs> this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. Hmm. This Midianite seems to have more faith than <laughs> Gideon. <coughs> Gideon hears this and he realizes these guys are scared too. And they know my name. They've heard of me. And they've heard of God. And that we've seen that before. The inhabitants of the land of Canaan, they'd heard of God. They'd heard of what they did to the Egyptians. And the Egyptian army, which at the time was quite possibly the, the most powerful army in the world. And they defeated them, not by fighting them, but by running away from them. Their God fights for them. So, seems like this is the evidence that Gideon needs to hear. Verse 15. It came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation that he bowed in worship he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. Now Gideon's ready to do what God told him to do. But the first thing he does, he bows in worship. That phrase, bowed in worship, is only used three times in the book of Judges. This is one. Any idea where the other two are? With <laughs> Samson, when the, the parents of Samson get the news, do they... Did they worship the Lord in that case? No, no the, okay. this word's not used there. Okay. Uh, turn to chapter 2. Verse 12. And they forsook 
They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord in anger. They bowed themselves down, same word. Here, translated, bowed in worship. And the other place is not far from what I just read. Verse 17 of chapter 2. And yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. So the only... Other times this word is used, it's describing what the Israelites were doing to the idols, to other gods. So the only time we find the phrase bowed in worship to God, to Jehovah, is here in Judges 7. And I think that tells us something about the Israelites and how bad it had gotten. They were worshiping everything but God. So, I found that interesting. A bit depressing, but interesting. But he worships God, and then he returns to the camp and says, Arise, the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And then we read about the battle itself, if you want to call it that. Verses 16 to 23. So... Someone want to read that? Okay, Lloyd. Uh, um, <clears throat> NIV version okay. um, 16 to 23. Yes. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the jars in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to run onto each other with, with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah toward 
Zorera as far as the border of Abel Mihola near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. Okay, thank you. So, Gideon says, now's the time. And he takes his 300 men and he divides them into three groups. <laughs> Which strikes me as a little strange with that small a group, but it's not the only thing strange. What does he arm them with? Torches, pitchers, and trumpets. Yeah. What about swords? Forget swords. What about incendiary, incendiary grenades or something? Just, yeah. So, obviously, the outcome of this battle isn't determined by conventional standards of war. And in fact, the outcome had already been determined. But Gideon now seems to be the leader. He says, take this, look at me, and do what I do. And so, he divides them up so they can surround the camp of Midian. And when is it that they do what they do? What time would you say it is? It's the middle watch, if we can figure that one out. Yeah? Apparently around 10 p.m. according to this note. I don't know okay. if that's right or not. But yeah. What I read, at this time there were three watches in the night. What you're looking at is probably four. Which at the time of Christ, there were four watches. So, it's probably midnight. Because it's the beginning of the second watch. Uh, so, from what I read, probably midnight. But right at the beginning of the watch probably the darkest part of the night everybody's sound asleep except these sleepy watchmen who had just gotten on their watch they're, they probably slept during the first watch and then they're awakened to go on watch and there's still some cobwebs in there and breaks the pitcher because the torches were hidden in the pitchers or jars depending on what translation you're looking at but it wouldn't have been glass that would have allowed the uh, uh, the light to be seen so they break the pitcher such that the light from the torch can be seen and they blow the trumpets and they shout for the Lord and for Gideon or a sword for the Lord and for Gideon and from what I read the word for 
probably be better rendered belonging to. So belonging to the Lord and Gideon, who's working for the Lord. Uh, and so the Midianite army is awakened from this deep sleep and they hear the trumpets and the shouts and they see the light and they panic. <laughs> and it says, verse 22, the Lord set the sword of one against another even throughout the whole army. So Gideon and his men didn't need swords. There were plenty of swords around that got used and slaughtered the Midianites. They killed themselves from panic. So, who did this battle belong to? Belong to the Lord. And, you know, Paul pointed out in his questions, uh, you know, with the battle plan, what was the ultimate purpose? Verse 2, 7, 9, 14, 22. What do all those have in common? The Lord. The Lord. <laughs> exactly. All of this shows the power of God and that God's in control. And this is a great lesson for us. When we're faced with difficult situations, remember, God's all-powerful, God's in control, God cares, He's merciful, if we're on his side, he's on our side. So, it doesn't matter the obstacles. We're faithful to the Lord. He'll get us through. We may die in the process, but then we get to go to be with the Lord can't beat that deal. <laughs> so, certainly a great lesson for us. And then uh, verses 24 and 25 says, And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against Midian and take the waters before them, as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were summoned and they took the waters as far as Bethbara and the Jordan and they captured two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb while they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan. So the remnants of the Midianite army flee 
and we'll find out from chapter 8 what the remnants were 10,000 out of no, 15,000 out of what started to be about 135,000 so a great slaughter but they flee heading toward the Jordan go back where they came from and Gideon sends messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying come down cut them off let's finish them off and they do and they capture two leaders and Oreb just happens to be slain at the rock of Oreb and Zeb happens to be slain at the uh, wine press of Zeb how did they know to name him well wait a minute uh, to memorialize what happened these places got new names so that they could remember the great victory that the Lord gave them so those sites became famous they may not have had a name before but they do now one other thing as you do your daily Bible readings tomorrow I read ahead a little Psalm 44 I think you'll be reminded of this when you read Psalm 44 I'm sure you will be now <laughs> okay any last thoughts or comments? Okay. Well, we're going to wrap it up.